My name is Pastor Benjamin Hicks, and I'm joined today by a special guest. Um, um, I'm joined by Dave, and I'm sorry, Dave, can you pronounce your last name for us? Forsyth. Yep, Dave Forsyth. Thank you, brother. Now, uh, Dave is an elder at Christ the King Reformed Church. He's married five kids and uh, lives in Oshawa. He's also the author of Vengeance Has Come, a Puritan-minded exposition of the apocalypse for the modern church. But today we're actually discussing a, a different subject, and that is this whole matter of the, the current conflict taking place in the Middle East surrounding uh, Israel, Hamas, uh, Palestine, and these constellation of issues. And the reason we're discussing it is that uh, Dave and I are a couple of uh, troublemakers on social media who've occasionally been pontificating on these things. And I've appreciated some of Dave's uh, comments on that. And so I thought that it might be instructive just in this format, where there's a little bit more freedom to discuss things in depth, that we would discuss it here. Um, how are you doing tonight, Dave? Doing well. Thank you so much for uh, having me, brother. Uh, it's a real privilege. Well, Dave, just to get us started here, um, how was it that you began uh, commenting on it? I noticed that um, you were taking a stand that not all of uh, our brothers in, shall we say, the more uh, uh, liberty-minded, theonomic-minded, perhaps, churches were, were taking on uh, some of these issues concerning the war in the Middle East. And uh, you seem pretty passionate and, and clear about what you were, were saying. What made you start to speak out about this? And uh, what presently um, do you want to bring to this discussion? Yeah, thank you, brother. Um, so I... Uh, I guess the reason why I started to speak out about this um, is because there's so much confusion in the church regarding Israel and the role of Israel, uh, the, the, the role of Israel and the relationship between biblical Israel and the current modern secular state of Israel. And uh, there's just been so much confusion. Um, and I think in large part due to dispensationalism and the widespread uh, impact of dispensationalism, not only theologically in the church, but in the culture and in the mindset of North Americans in general. Um, even the very fact that, uh, that uh, one of the major lobby, lobby groups um, for the American government is uh, our Zionists and uh, just 
very pro-Israel. There's been a very close relationship between the state of Israel and America because of that. And uh, yeah, uh, so so when this whole thing erupted uh, in the Middle East a month ago, um, I thought, okay, well, you know, I've written this commentary on the book of Revelation. Um, I, uh, I've done a lot of thinking about this um, because of that. I, I've read heaps. I, I can't, I can't uh, tell you how many hours I've read Josephus um, in preparation for, as part of writing my commentary on the Revelation. Uh, and uh yeah, so so uh, I I thought you know what I'm going to jump in on this, um, and uh, it's a major world event right now, and um, you know, part of part of our job as elder pastors is guiding our people through, um, you know, through how to interpret these things, and I thought okay, well, let me try to be a help to others as well um, in the the broader the broader scope of things the the on, online world and just try to um maybe bring some clarity bring some biblical categories that maybe are not normally thought of and uh yeah well that's very helpful brother and um yeah the whole subject of eschatology and prophecy it gets um it gets uh um, very uh, heated when we, something like this happens in the Middle East, right? People begin uh, trying to find their bearings as far as what God is doing in the world and some of these events of history. And as you say, there's a context so uh, politically, right? Um, the Zionist lobby and the influence of uh, Israel in geopolitical sense, but also religiously, um, your whole view of uh, redemptive history and the consummation of all things um, that's going to influence how you think about something like this in the Middle East. Now, um, I think at a future day, it'd be great to have you back again, just to discuss your commentary in more detail. And uh, just for our listeners benefit, there probably are a few differences between us on on some aspects of eschatology, but I would agree with you that 70 AD, uh, the, the judgment on the Jewish nation, there is certainly an important uh, part of this discussion. So uh, can you maybe just speak in generally as you've been studying eschatology, you mentioned Josephus. Um, uh, what do you think about that is maybe not given due consideration by the uh, Christian church today? Yeah. Um... Thank you, Ben. Uh, I, so I, I would say that, um, so within the broader kind of category of the progress of history in the future, um, I, I'm very much in line with the Puritans, uh, the Reformed tradition. Um, so, so I believe that the one people of God started um, right after the fall with Genesis 3.15, the, the promise, the first gospel promise, when God promised Eve that uh, her future son would crush the head of the snake, uh, who's Satan, and uh, so that he would 
you would put an end to all evil everywhere. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, so I believe that with uh, Genesis three twenty one, um, that uh, God, in contrast to Adam and Eve trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves, so basically using their own efforts to try to clothe themselves, uh, take care of their sin and their shame, um, because of disobeying God's law. Um, God said, no, I'm rejecting that. Instead, I will graciously cover you with these animal skins. And so he made the first sacrifice and covered them. And, uh, and, and it's obvious that, that um, Adam and Eve trusted in what they were pointing to, because we see the very next chapter that Abel is making the right sacrifice and his brother's not. Um, so, yeah, so, so from that point onwards, throughout uh, history, the one people of God have gone under different names. Um, uh, the, the Hebrews, um, the, the Israelites, uh, then uh, in the post-exilic period, the Jews, uh, and even though not everybody was from the tribe of Judah, uh, and then, we, then we, when we get to the New Testament, they're called Christians. Uh, but it's the same one people of God. It's not different ones. Um, and so, yeah, so I believe that in the future, um, that uh, Romans 11 promises that a great many number of, uh, of Jews in the flesh will be grafted back in to the one olive tree, the, 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 coven, the one covenant community, the one uh, visible church. Uh, across all time and, um, and and but they're they're not being grafted into a different one they're mm. being grafted into the same one um, and uh, and they're being grafted in right along with with Gentiles um, and so that all the nations will eventually come under the rule of Christ that he will have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth that that he, his name will be the only name and, uh, and, and, and that he will, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that the knowledge of him will be, will cover the whole earth as the water covers the sea. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, so, so I, I, um, I have, uh, high expectations on the basis of God's own word that, um, that the Jewish people will be a part of they 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 have a place in god's redemptive purposes but those redemptive purposes center in the lord jesus christ not the nation of israel mm. um, yeah so i i would say so 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 that's that's the big picture then kind of in in the middle of that um we have uh these these prophecies in uh, malachi 3 and 4 um talking about the messenger uh, to come, who who's the greater Elijah, uh, John the baptizer, and that right after he comes, Yahweh is going to come in judgment on the covenant breakers. Um, and Matthew, uh, you know, there's this theme that run through runs through Matthew that uh, that Jesus did not only come; he did come for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of the elect. But he also came to bring judgment on the covenant breakers of Israel. 
And uh, so by the time that we get to uh, Matthew 23 and 24, um, and uh, so I believe that Matthew 24 and uh, Mark 13 and Luke 21 all parallel each other. They're all talking about the same thing. And Jesus makes it very clear that he he's talking in the temple to the leaders of apostate Israel, mm-hmm. uh, national Israel in their apostasy. And he says, all the, the, all the blood of righteous Abel to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah is going to come on you. That's going to happen in this generation. Uh, and so from a, a Jewish standpoint, a generation is 40 years. And, um, and uh, so he was, he was saying within the next 40 years of me saying this to you in this temple, I'm going to come in judgment on you. Then he leaves the temple and says, your house is left to you desolate. Um, his disciples point out to him as they're leaving the buildings of the temple. And Jesus turns around and says, yeah, but every stone is going to come off of every stone of this temple. It's all coming down. The, the, the focal point of my judgment against apostate Israel is going to be the temple. Um, and so then, then the whole, all of that discourse is centered around answering those questions about, okay, what, you know, the, from a Jewish standpoint, this is like, this is like the end of the world basically for them because, you know, no more temple means no more sacrifices, no more Levitical priesthood, no more, uh, nation in covenant with God, they're being dispossessed. Um, and I think that this, uh, and, and, and of course, all of this came to pass through, through the Roman armies in AD 70. Um, and, uh, so, so, um, so the, these two things hold together biblically, um, the, like we, we cannot think about, the modern state of Israel as being the fulfillment of Old Testament Israel. They're not the same thing. Like the old covenant is not coming, coming back. It's Hebrews is very clear. Like Hebrews chapter eight, verse 13, right after the promise of the new covenant, uh, the author to the Hebrews says that, uh, you know, and the old covenant is fading away right while he's talking to them it's mm. fading away and about to become obsolete so when when did it become obsolete well it became obsolete the minute that the temple was destroyed in AD 70 so mm. the old covenant is done it's never coming back which means that there is never going to be a nation of Israel the descendants of Abraham in covenant with God like that ever again it's not happening again um, and this this means that when we look at the state of Israel today, we can't be going along with the Zionists thinking that's the chosen people of God because it's been that, that's that's really helpful, Dave. And a couple of things stand out to me. So one is that you are coming at it from essentially the the reform perspective, which is different than what we see in dispensationalism. Not that there is two peoples of God in an essential sense, right? Where you've got an earthly people and a heavenly people, right? One being Israel and the other being the church, but that it essentially God's 
saving covenant, his gracious covenant in Christ is with one people, that is the church, whether Jew or Gentile. I think that, that was helpfully stated. And that will be something where, where depending on the form of dispensationalism you're talking about, that will be more strongly or softly uh, pushed back against, right? So I think that's an important point you made. And uh, I think bound up with that is that in addition to perhaps some of the theological confusion, we're also living in a lot of political and cultural confusion because we're saturated with a very um, pluralistic mindset. Uh, and one that maybe for uniquely historical reasons is sensitive towards uh, strong opposition um, to the Jewish people and even the Jewish religion. And so there's, there's um, uh, generally speaking, a willingness to say that all religions should be guarded and protected, whereas it sounds like what you're saying is that if we're um, going to be strongly uh subordinated to the lordship of christ and uh, having our allegiance allegiance to christ and for that reason as well we're not going to be able to um, have an acceptance or a toleration of a religious uh, cultural project that's opposed to christianity would that be a fair way to put it or am i getting a little bit ahead of you there yeah no that's uh that's that's definitely true um i would uh i would like to hasten to add that um we have several passages in the New Testament. Uh, so, for example, um, Romans 2, 28 and 29, it says that a Jew is, Jew is not a true Jew just because he's been circumcised in the flesh, but he's only a true Jew if he's been circumcised in the heart by the Holy Spirit. Um, we have Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about that there's no longer two people, but one because Christ through his death has broken down the, the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and made them one people in one covenant with access to one Father by one Holy Spirit, um, that together as one house we are being built up, um, you know, by the Holy Spirit for our God. So, uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on all day long, but the point is that, um, that, that, uh, the only like the only recognition before god in terms of being his chosen people is that we have the same faith as abraham where we've been regenerated the same way that abraham was we have the same faith in the same messiah that abraham did and we're justified by the same lord jesus so that's the only uh that's that that is the covenant standing before God that we are in Christ, um, and uh, you know so 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 all of redemptive history centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the identity and work of the nation of Israel, and I think that's really important. I think that's extremely helpful, brother, and thank you for explaining that so well. And um, I think that's given people a lot of good material to think on. And so um, let's say that people have followed us that far and say, all right, so um, obviously uh, we're recognizing that the Jewish people need the gospel. They're not, um, they don't have any kind of acceptable status before God apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we, for that reason, can't countenance a false religion that would uh, that would uh, lead people away from the gospel. So I think that that's fairly clear. But do you think that um, perhaps uh, un- lack of clarity on some of those points is related to some of the strong uh, support for actions of the state of Israel? And uh, how would you say that we should assess any nation, including Israel, by the standard of biblical just war theory? So it's a lot there, but I'm I'm giving you a wide berth to kind of begin moving the discussion in that direction. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So... The, the the first place that I would like to start is just by distinguishing between biblical Old Testament Judaism and Talmudic Judaism. Um, because I think there's a lot of confusion on that. Uh, so, so in Matthew 15, Jesus criticized the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the leaders of national Israel at that time uh, entering into their, their final state of apostasy before they were permanently cut off. And um, Jesus criticized them for making the tradition of the elders their standard and forcing the Old Testament scriptures to submit to that standard. Uh, and, and of course, in that context, it's the whole issue of the Korban rule um, and uh, basically undermining the sixth commandment, uh, sorry, the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother as it pertains to taking care of them in their old age uh, and saying, well, I don't need to do this because I've taken what was going to you and given it to the temple instead. Um, and uh, so, so. So Jesus condemns this, it condemns them for this. Uh, this also helps to make sense of Matthew 5 as well. Um, why Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Um, he's, he, he, he's bringing in uh, the whole issue of the Pharisees turning the law of God into this external only uh, Mishnah informed uh, way of understanding the law that actually undermines the entire intent of the law. Um, so, so, um, yeah, so, so the traditions of the elders were called the Mishnah, um, and at Jesus, they were all in oral form. And later they got written down and combined with another group of writings called the Gemara and together that's a Talmud. Um, and the primary feature of uh, the, of Talmudic Judaism is that it's it's actually a rejection of Old Testament Judaism. Uh, what do I mean? Um, well, they don't have a temple anymore. They don't have a priesthood. They don't have sacrifices. They don't have a covenant. Uh, and they recognize this. But they don't care because they recognize that if they were to take the Old Testament scriptures at face value, that it would lead them to having to submit to Jesus as the true Messiah, the son of God. And they hate Jesus. They hate Messiah. And so instead they purposefully 
read the Old Testament through the lens of the Talmud um, in order to maintain their rejection of Jesus of Nazareth as being the promised Messianic king. So, um, so everything, I, I mean, it was kind of like progressing in that direction, but really when with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, that 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 nailed uh, you know uh, nailed the final nail in the coffin, as it were. Um, that uh, that 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 group who would continue to identify as Jews, but they're actually rejecting true Judaism, which finds this fulfillment in Jesus. Uh, so so I mean, if we want to talk about who are the true Jews, well, they're Christians. That's the true Israel, um, according to scripture. And uh, so, so Talmudic Judaism uh, is, is, is really a Christian cult. That's really what it is. It's akin to like Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or something like that, because it's purposefully including extra biblical scriptures in order to deny the central tenets of the faith. Thank you, brother. That, that is extremely helpful. So, for example, if someone were to say uh, that we belong to a Judeo-Christian civilization, uh, would you have an issue with that kind of description? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, because you're trying to you're trying to blend together two things that are diametrically opposed to each other. Um, the, it's it's Christ or chaos. That's those are your options. Your it's either submission to the Lord Jesus as the true Messiah, the Son of God, or opposing Him and rebelling against Him. There are only two options. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, I, they're like talking about a Judeo-Christian civilization is uh, oxymoronic. Well, Jesus himself said, you know, if you're not with me, then you're against me. And you think mm -hmm. of also Paul's words in First Corinthians, where he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, I think, context the Lord Jesus, let him be anathema, let him be accursed, right? So the idea that we're trying to mix together um, the two religions, I think maybe under a misguided um, kind of pluralistic impulse, I agree, is a big problem. But I think there are there are reasons um, why people uh, have come to that that kind of um, positive assessment of uh, the Jewish religion, even even though, as you say, it's unwarranted. Uh, and even where someone might say, "Well, we reject the religion," uh, we still would would look at something like the state of Israel and have a sympathy for it. Um, how do you see uh, that influencing some of the current uh, discussions about the conflict? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think part of the reason why this is such a hot button issue is because those who have adhered to some form of Talmudic Judaism through the centuries have been persecuted. Um, those who identify as having some kind of Jewish lineage and uh, or or 
identify with the, the the culture and the um kind of the the uh the uh, how do i say like the culture that that comes along with the traditions um and uh the the talmudic Jew, jewish uh way um that 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 they they have been persecuted through the centuries um and uh, of course most notably most recently uh would be would, would be the the holocaust and what happened in um through the the nazi regime um adolf hitler and uh and and those who were brainwashed into um going along with him or, or were convinced for whatever reason that uh that his um absolutely evil uh way of viewing people um was was acceptable it was a good and happy thing and uh and so because of the atrocities that have been committed against uh jews um there's this uh it, it, it's almost like i have to i i i it, I have to protect whatever they protect. Um, I have to, um, I, I have to be willing to, uh, uh, if I don't, um, you know, if they're attacked for any reason, then I have to be on their side because otherwise I'm somehow anti-Semitic. I'm how, and by anti-Semitic, I mean like uh, having animus, uh, disregard, um, a kind of a dehumanizing of, of the Jewish people. Um, and, uh, but I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think that, uh, what, what I mean by that is I don't think just because a people have been abused and terribly treated and, uh, butchered in the past does not give them the right to therefore, um, say and you must support me at all costs from now from here on out um so let me give you an example um i uh when i was younger um my background is scottish and when i was younger i was i was very nationalist like to a t old school nationalist scottish um and so like I, I admit that I had, I had a hatred in my heart towards the English people um, because of what they had done to, to my Scottish ancestors. Um, and then I had to repent of that because I can't, uh, now, now for, for, somebody who's not Scottish, it, I mean, may, maybe, maybe it's hard to relate to, but the point is that, um, you know, I can't say because I'm Scottish, however I respond, the ends justify the means. Uh, you know, I'm perpetually in this victim state and, uh, and therefore, you know, the English are perpetually bad and evil and so forth. And, well, that just doesn't, that doesn't, that's not true. 
Um, it's against the gospel. It's against the law of God to think that way. Um, because uh, the law does not uh, judge us on the basis of uh, which group we're in. It judges us as individuals. And, uh, you know, the law is very clear that the, that the, uh, the son shall not die for the sins of the father. So, um, and it's, it's just proud and arrogant to think that because, um, you know, because, because uh, the English, uh, you know, oppressed the Scot Scottish people, you know, in the 1700s through the Highland Clearances, that somehow that gives me the right today to have animus, animus in my heart towards my English group. Uh, no, no, I can't do that. Um, you know, that's, that's wrong. And, uh, and, and, and by God's grace, um, you know, I, I've repented of that way of thinking. And, um, and, and, and I think that, uh, maybe that background makes me sensitive to, to this, um, current mindset that, exists i i want to distinguish make another dis distinction here uh between talmudic judaism and zionism um so zionists have this kind of ultra nationalist mindset the way that i used to with scotland um that it's all it's all piss and vinegar <laughs> you touch our land we're gonna destroy you um you know, this is our land. Uh, how dare you touch it? We're, you know, uh, we're, we're the chosen. The ends justify the means. You know, we're above reproach forever and you're always the enemy uh, kind of mindset. Um, and I, I think maybe my, my background uh, makes me sensitive to that way of thinking. And I, and I see this with the, the Zionists, like it's, it's, it's a wicked idea. It's a wicked religio socio political kind of idea that, that, that says that because, you know, as the Jewish, uh, as the Jewish state, which it, it's actually more of a secular state now of Israel, where the chosen we're the chosen people of God, and therefore, um, and, and therefore, uh, whatever we do is justified. In and however we respond is justified. And um, anybody who comes against us is automatically uh, in the wrong, and we're automatically in the right. This sort of ultra nationalist um, way of thinking, and and it's 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 wrong because. It, it basically denies that original sin has touched the nation or the nation state of Israel at every level. It denies that, uh, you know, it, 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 it denies that the Jesus is the ultimate treasure, not the state of Israel. Um, and it actually parallels in a lot of ways the mindset of the Jewish zealots at, in the days of Jesus and leading up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. This kind of like ultra nationalistic going like just fanatical, uh, you know, uh, 
mindset of of defending uh, the state of Israel. And uh, but I want to make a distinction between Zionism that and Talmudic Judaism because Talmudic Judaism is 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 basically a uh, depending on how how conservative you are. I mean, the Hasidic Jews are basically the most conservative. Um, but uh, it, it's 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 a very religious, mystical kind of um, religion, uh, kind of uh, you know, kind of a, a cult that is rejecting biblical uh, biblical religion. Um, but there's lots of like upwards of millions of uh, Talmudic Jews who despise Zionism. So I think a lot of people think that uh, to be anti-Zionist equals being anti-Jewish. Well, that doesn't work because right now, I mean, uh, within the last couple of weeks, there's been a thousands, thousands of Hasidic Jews in the streets of, uh, of New York City protesting against what Israel's doing. <laughs> So uh, and and they're super anti-Zionist. So um, it, it it just because you um, you know j- just because you oppose the idolatry of the state of Israel, which goes under the name of Zionism, doesn't mean therefore you have hatred in your heart towards Jews or. Dutchman or <laughs> or anyone else, right? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. But I think that that gives the listeners a lot of of constructive things to think about there. Um, now, if, if I'm li- listening to you correctly, what you're uh, opposing is a kind of nationalism which is not bound by the law of God and the law of love according to the the word of God and certainly not bound by the Lordship of Christ, but has uh, become a sort of idolatrous um, kind of worldview or philosophy or ideology that justifies uh, sin basically in the mm-hmm. service of national interest, right? In the same way that an individual might think it's in his interest to sin in order to attain what he wants and uh, trample over someone else's rights. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, no, this, this is a, a very important uh, topic. Uh, something that I have learned through uh, brothers like Doug Wilson uh, is this, this, the concept of whether it's not whether, but which. Um, so, what 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 we mean is that if it people are made to worship people are moral beings and that's inescapably true and so it's either we're going to be obeying jesus in loyalty to him or we're going to be disobeying him in rebellion against him um and and of course there's multiple multiple ways uh, that people can rebel against jesus and um so it's it's not it's not whether we're going to have an ultimate authority as a nation. It's it's which one? Are we going to have Jesus, who's the real 
ultimate authority or we're going to have a false God. Um, and it's not whether we're going to have an ultimate moral standard, but which one? Are we going to be obeying uh, our own law that we've kind of come up with our own sort of common sense reasoning, whatever seems best to us, a kind of a pragmatism, um, a kind of uh, I'm my own ultimate authority kind of thing, uh, or 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 whatever the state says, you know, whatever the state says, that's the ultimate authority. That's the ultimate moral standard. Um, and I can't question that. Uh, that's called statism, right? That That is the the uh, biggest idol um, in in the West right now is the idolatry of the state. Um, and uh, so 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 the, the, this is really important, right? And so um, Romans 13 explicitly says that God has instituted, the civil governing authorities, and uh, that they are his deacon, his servant. Okay, so question, do servants have to obey their masters? Well, yes. So who's who's the civil governing authority's master? Jesus. Has Jesus said anything about how his morality should be applied in the context of the civil sphere? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the law of God makes a very clear distinction between sins and sins that are also crimes. How do we know which is which? Well, one has a penal sanction, uh, one has a penal sanction attached to it, and the other doesn't. So the state is to uh, apply and to enforce God's law wherever there's a penal sanction attached to it, and uh, and, and and so they are to uh, they are to um, they're not to punish every single sin under the planet, every single violation of God's law, but they are specifically to punish crimes, to enforce God's law and to bring the sword to bear um, as his vengeance on the wrongdoer. That's what Romans 14 says, or Romans 13 says, um, and they are to do it as God. And remember, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. As Jesus defines what his law is and uh, what a crime is, and they are to do it according to his standards of justice. So uh, that, that, that's concerning an individual nation. Um, and so then that leads into a, 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 a nice long discussion about sphere sovereignty and uh, what parts of God's law um, apply to which jurisdiction, uh, family, church, or state? Uh, how do they re interact with each other? Can an individual, you know, operate in all three spheres at the same time? How do they relate to Jesus' lordship and all of those kind of things? But the main point, the main point in this discussion, is that Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the ruler of kings on earth, whether or not people acknowledge it. And his law is to be enforced. Uh, not a different law, but his law. If we are to obey Jesus and the civil governing authorities are to obey Jesus, which they're commanded to as his servant, then they are to enforce his law, not a different one. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, that 
that that that uh, brings up the whole question of um, how do nations relate to each other? What happens when one nation is uh, attacked? Um, how do other nations respond? Um, and, uh, and and how how should uh, um, uh, how, how should a God fearing nation um, with civil governing authorities who are actually obeying Jesus as his servants in society. How, how, how are they to respond when, when their, when their nation is attacked? And so that brings us into the whole area of, uh, of the doctrine of the just war, um, which has a nice long history going all the way back to St. Augustine in the uh, 400s. Yes. And, and I think this um, this is very, very helpful for us to talk about, brother. And so right now, I think that we need to understand that um, we live in a, a time in which uh, media and social media about different atrocities can be used very powerfully to get people on board with a political program or a political agenda. Sometimes that may be an appropriate outrage at a legitimate injustice. Indeed, I think that's partially what we're seeing with the uh, the killing of civilians by Hamas in the most ungodly and, and wicked form. But what I think perhaps may be happening, and I wonder if you would agree with me, is that there isn't necessarily equal scales being applied. Not... Um, not that we are drawing an equivalence at all between Hamas and Israel, but the transgressions of one are getting amplified in some people's estimation, while transgressions against the law of God in terms of just war are not getting rightly considered um, in the other case, namely that uh, Israel's conduct in uh, Palestine or Gaza is not in keeping with biblical law or uh, just war uh, theory as you're laying out, in my opinion. Um, would you agree with that? And, and how would you uh, seek to bring a biblical world and life view to bear on this issue? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with you 100%. Um, just to speak to the issue of moral equivalency, um, uh, I've I've heard that I it depends on which group you are hearing that term from. Um, so some people are using the term moral equivalency to mean that the underlying Islamic worldview um, of Hamas is not equivalent to the underlying Jewish worldview of the Israeli state. Um, and I, I, so, so, uh, and, and what they mean is that, uh, the Islamic worldview explicitly, um, includes, uh, advancing the kingdom of God through the sword, um, which they called, uh, jihad. Uh, and, uh, I, so, so that, 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 um, um, there, there that complicates the issue a lot um and it depends so the way that 
Islam normally functions, even even in the Middle East. I used to live in the Middle East. Um, I, I've studied Arabic for three years. I, I I lived in the Middle East for a year. I wanted to uh, teach English there, and uh, and and so I I have sat in Middle Eastern people's homes. Um, I uh, uh, and I even the most laid back of Middle Eastern people still hate Israel and want Israel off the map. They, they, they can't stand Israel. Um, they cannot stand the existence of Israel. Um, and uh, so there's, there's all sorts of uh, reasons for that. Um, and, and, and the, but, but on the other side, I think there's a misconception really uh, because the, the Israeli state today is is not really actually a Talmudic Jewish state. It's a secular state. It's actually a cultural Marxist state. Uh, they're 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 murdering babies just as fast as we are in Canada. They're flying rainbow flags just as much as we are, um, and uh, their their uh, their their president uh, is um, is just as committed to cultural Marxism as our prime minister is. Uh, so, so, um, you know, I think it would be, I think it would be, uh, more accurate to say that there's a cultural Marxist slash Zionist worldview that is driving the way that, uh, the Israeli state is responding, not a Talmudic Jewish worldview. Uh, so in that way, um, you know, I, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, I definitely don't think that there's an equivalency in terms of they're exactly the same, um, but uh, because one is explicitly commanding um, advancing the kingdom of God through the sword and the other is just permitting it because they're so radically devoted to their to, to protecting their nation. Um, yeah, so so that's one way that the moral equivalency uh phrase has been used the other way is just by the zionists um so i have literally heard the leader of one for israel which is a a zionist uh ultra dispensational uh, uh organization that uh ostensibly wants to see christians or wants to see jews come to know jesus but wrapped up in all of that is is uh, this hardcore commitment to the state of Israel as being the reestablishment, the prophetic reestablishment of Old Testament Israel? Um, and uh, so I, I have literally heard him say uh, that that he thinks that anybody who um, that he he's equating making moral equivalency between Hamas and Israel as being anti-Semitic. So what that tells me is that he thinks that Israel is, because they are supposedly God's chosen people, therefore they are above reproach. Um, and uh, so, so whatever the Palestinians do, um, and specifically Hamas does, they're automatically wrong and Israel is automatically right. They're like immune uh, because they're God's chosen people. And uh, and I just want to say, like, like 
the goal of coming to Jesus is not Israel. It's not. It's Jesus. The goal of coming to Jesus is Jesus. He is the goal. He is the greatest treasure. And if you try to use Jesus as a means to get to anything else, whether it be health, wealth, and prosperity, which is the word of faith, heresy, or Israel, which is the Zionist heresy, uh, it's idolatry. It's your, your, your God is not actually Jesus. Your God is whatever the, the end goal of using Jesus to get there is. And, uh, and, and so that, so, so, so it, it, it depends on who is using the term moral equivalency. I, I would rather for those who are, who, who are not going along with the Zionist stuff. Um, it, I, I think it would just be way better if we just talk in terms of worldviews and, uh, comparing and contrasting worldviews. Because using the language of moral equivalency, which I have never heard anybody use up until a month ago when this conflict started, uh, is just muddying the water. And it's, it's allowing the Zionists to have room to, to do their Zionist thing uh, instead of calling them out for, for their, uh, their, their godless, uh, the state of Israel. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a, that is a good word, brother. And I think that part of the thing is that uh, this whole discussion we're seeing that some of these um, some of these arguments are really being weaponized, right? They're not necessarily um, conducive to rational, coherent thought. It's all about uh, breaking some sort of taboo, right? So what we're not wanting to do is fall into any kind of um, imbalance here. We're trying to stay in accord with the mind of the Lord on these things. So with that in mind, will you direct us? What what would we um, find as far as a standard of assessing any nation, including Israel, that um, comes to the requirements of the law of God? as it concerns the deacon or the servant of God, the civil magistrate, and the nation uh, joined to it? Yeah, so I would say um, the number one is each and every one of us is created in the image of God with dignity, value, and worth. It's inherent to us because we're created in God's image. And as part of that, uh, Romans chapter two says that the law of God has actually been written on our hearts. Um, and uh, of course, unbelievers are suppressing the truth of who God is and, and, and his righteous standards um, every day. Right. Uh, and uh, so, so because we are created in God's image, we are inherently moral beings but we are we are moral beings who are accountable personally. We are moral beings who are uh, who who um, who have a standard by which we are being held to account, and we have a moral standard by which we are to treat others. Because the definition of love for God and love for neighbor is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Um, 
And uh, so th this, this is the universal standard for everyone because we are created in God's image. Um, so th this means that that's where we need to go. That the equal weights and measures is because we are all image bearers standing before the same law, which is all rooted in God's good and holy character. So um, as it pertains to nations relating to each other during the time of conflict and war, um, there, there, the scriptural basis for this, um, yes, is grounded in we're made in God's image. Then building on that is recognizing we live in a fallen world, right? Uh, that that all of us, even those who are in authority over us, even those who are in authority over us and live in Israel, uh, are all, uh, we, we have all broken God's law with Adam, our, our, our covenant head. And so we are all under the curse of sin outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that um, we're all prone. We're all, we're all uh, the default is when we get opportunity and power and, uh, and, and means we're going to sin more. Um, and that means we need uh, in terms of uh, society. Now, ultimately we all need to come and repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, societal structure, we have to take that into account. And I, I, I believe that the uh, the founders, the founding fathers of the American experiment, uh, had this very front and center in their minds that we need to limit the uh, the powers at the top because it's way easier for those with more power to abuse it. Um, so as it pertains to, uh, just war theory, uh, it is rooted in the, um, the idea of lex talionis, the law of retribution, uh, the law of retributive justice. Where do we find this? Well, we find this first appearing actually in the regiving of the creational covenant in, uh, in Genesis chapter nine. And, it says that, uh, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast that will require it. And from every man for his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for he is for God has made him in his image. So the idea here is that because our fellow man is, um, is, uh, made with inherent dignity, value, and worth were created in the likeness of God. There, therefore, whoever takes that life and so uh, attacks the image of God in his fellow man that he has forfeited his own life. And uh, in, as Andrew Sandlin would put it, he's being, uh, he, he's being ushered to the highest court in heaven. <laughs> Uh, through execution. Um, so the, uh, I, I believe that it was Andrew Sandlin who said that. Um, he might have been uh, quoting someone else at the same time, but be that as it may, uh, the, the, the point is that uh, 
the whole reason why the state needs to execute with with a swift execution uh, those uh, those who are found guilty of murder is because that's how valuable the person is who they murdered and that needs to be upheld and the law needs to teach people how valuable people are by how severely they punish uh, the, the 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 crime of murder. So, um, so the, the, this law of retribution um, is basically summarized in the in, in the in the law of God as eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Uh, in Deuteronomy 19, where we find the civil due process, um, where uh, uh, it's only on the basis of two to three lines of true witness and testimony in a court of law can any uh, any guilt be established, um, and uh, you know, in a in, in front of a, a panel of judges, and uh, they are to have no pity that when the man is found guilty or the woman is found guilty of their crime, then they are to have no. There's no place for pity. Um, they are not to be partial, uh, but but they are rather to uh, do exactly what the law of God requires as it pertains to a just penalty according to the law of exact and retributive, proportional retributive justice. So justice is not restorative, justice is retributive in God's law because it's dealing with real crimes that have happened to real image bearers of God. So as that um, gets fleshed out uh, and, and applied in terms of uh, nations interacting with each other, um, then uh, then that means that uh, well, nations uh, just as individuals have a right to def defend themselves, uh, to protect themselves, uh, and families have a you know uh, have a right to defend themselves. Um, well, so 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 do uh, civil entities known as nation states have a right to defend themselves. Um, so, so embedded in the commandment, you shall not murder, is you shall preserve life. Now, you shall preserve life does not mean uh, doing what the Jewish zealots did at Masada in, uh, uh, so, so, so um, what happened in the first Jewish Roman War was that um, so after uh, Jerusalem was sieged and was set a set ablaze on fire and uh, the temple was destroyed. There's three more fortresses that the that that the Jews had um, and were trying to defend. And the last one to fall was called Masada, and it was basically this mesa uh, with a fortress on top. And um, the only way for the Roman soldiers to get to them were would be to to climb up the steep embankment on all sides to get to the top and finally they did and uh the way they decided to um to uh preserve life was uh or sorry to protect life was rather than preserving life it was to um to eliminate life so this is protection by elimination, not protection by preservation. 
So they they literally all committed suicide. They killed each other to keep themselves from being taken by the Roman soldiers as as hostages and uh, probably uh, crucified uh, by the by the Roman soldiers uh, upon being um, you know when uh, upon being uh, captured. So um, so the the law of God does not permit that kind of behavior. Um, and it, it doesn't, uh, so, so there's these principles that the law of God gives us that when we, um, when we uh, put them together, we have what has been called just war theory. So we have a proportional retributive justice um, and it's the justice against perpetrators only. Um, we have the principle of the preservation of life. So we're not going to protect life by eliminating it. We're going to protect life by preserving it. So that means that you can't go after non-combatants. If, if there are people in the way, on the way to your military target, you have to bend over backwards to preserve their life. You can't just uh, run them through on the way to uh, on the way to the perpetrator, the perpetrators of the attack. Um, and then there's also the principle of anti-interventionism, which means that, um, you know, uh, that, that, that you can't, um, it, it, if a conflict is happening in X nation, Y and Z nations can't just start interfering with that conflict um, for their own reasons, because nine times out of 10, they're going to be selfish reasons. Uh, and the now, 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 if, um, if X nation needs help, and the conflict has grown so big that the nations around them are are going to be directly affected if they aren't already, then they can call out for help to their surrounding nations to come and help them, and then they can have a temporary alliance. Um, but uh, these kind of ongoing alliances like NATO uh, are, are actually against the principle of anti-interventionism. Anti um, so, uh, then, uh, so, so kind of in keeping with that, uh, so those are, those are kind of the, the three principles of the doctrine of the just war. Uh, so, so to, to review the, um, we have proportional retributive justice specifically against the perpetrators of an attack. So this is all defensive, not offensive. Biblically, we have no grounds to go and attack anybody else as a nation. Nations are not allowed to attack, attack anybody else. They can defend themselves, but they can't attack. And when they are defending, they're specifically to go after with proportional retribution against the perpetrators of the attack. Um, and second, 
they have to bend over backwards to preserve the lives of non-combatants along the way. Um, and then third uh, is the principle of anti-interventionism of non-affected nations. So any nation that is not affected uh, by um, directly or indirectly by the attack um, and has not been requested by the nation being attacked for help, uh, they, you know, they can they can cheer one side on or the other, but they can't get involved um, because that is um, that is uh, making somebody else's problem your own when you're not actually a part of the conflict. So. Um, kind of building on those three principles, the uh, Genevan, the Geneva Conventions uh, have added to those uh, to, to, to those principles, um, but in keeping with them, uh, the principle of um, you you're not allowed to torture, um, and you're not allowed to take hostages. You can't take hostages, and you can't torture them. Right. What is taking hostages? It's kidnapping. It deserves a death penalty. Uh, what is torture? Well, torture is against God's law because God's law demands that we have to treat even our enemies as those who are created in God's image. Uh, so so um, this is actually the reason why, uh, you know, why rapists and murderers should have a swift not a nine-year-long sitting in a uh, in a in death row somewhere, um, kind of drawn out, torturous, uh, psychologically torturous situation. They no, we we have to honor the fact that they're in God's image, and so yes, they are guilty, but that means that we're going to give them a swift and humane death. Um so that no one would want to do the same thing. Uh, so that, that's what God's law explicitly says. Um, so God's law is against torture. Um, and God's law is against taking hostages because that's kidnapping. Uh, that also means that God's law is uh, against uh, uh, taking, uh, taking a group of your enemy and then deporting them. Uh, that is also... A form of kidnapping. So that's essentially what happened um, during the slave trade. The slave trade in Africa had been perpetuated and essentially developed by the Muslims in North Africa. And so, um, so when whenever uh, the slave trader came from America and from England uh, to get their slaves from Angola and the Congo, I uh, they were, um, you know, they, they, they were, they were taking people who had already, um, uh, who, who, who had already been captured, um, and turned into this kind of, uh, dehumanized, um, uh, you know, slaves. And then, and then they were deported, um, by the slave traders taken back, uh, to, uh, you know, to to uh, America or or Britain, um, and of course, this was before 
slavery was abolished, um, you know, praise the Lord, through the efforts of men like William Wilberforce. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so then also God's law is um, against executing a prisoner without due process. Um, so part of what it means to treat even your enemies as those who are created in God's image is you, you have to presume innocence until proven guilty. Even if you know that the guy is guilty, you have to go through the process of, of due process. You have to, he, he, you have to give him a fair trial in front of a panel of judges where uh, two to three lines of true witness and testimony is brought forward to establish his guilt. And only then may he be uh, brought to justice like that. Um, and of course, God's law says that if there be a lying uh, witness found out that it. So, like, for example, if he's lying about, uh, you know, the, the person he's accusing having committed the crime of rape. Uh, and he's lying about that, and he's found out, then he gets the death penalty, because that was what was due for the crime of rape, uh, according to God's law. So, um, so, so, so God's law has a, a very, um, it's very demanding in the sense of you have to treat everybody like they are made in God's image, because they are. Uh, and you have to do this without exception. So here's the thing, like with this whole conflict in the Middle East, no problems whatsoever in applying what I just described to Hamas. Everybody has been doing that, right? Uh, we have no problem applying just war theory to Hamas but nobody wants to do it to Israel. And, uh, and so the, this has, this has created a problem. And of course this has created controversy because, well, how, if you're going to insist on this, then you must be anti-Semitic because you're not standing with Israel. Well, well, no, actually they're made in God's image too, which means they're under God's law too. They're accountable to God's law too. And so, um, they, they're not allowed to just uh, respond in whichever way they want. They have to respond according to God's law. And that's the standard that they will be judged by. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so equal weights and measures. Um, God, God says over and over and over again that an unjust weight and an unjust measure, he finds to be a, abominable. It's an abomination. It's a stench. It's a it's like vomit. It's so disgusting to the Lord. And mm -hmm. so we must strive to maintain the same standard across everyone, which is God's law, because we're all created in God's image. And, uh, you know, Jews are created in God's image. Israelis, whether they be Christian or Jew or Arab, are created in God's image. They're accountable. They're accountable to God and to his law. And the same thing goes for Hamas, uh, they're not. Uh, they they may they may have acted like beasts, 
but they are still created in God's image. Palestinians created in God's image. You know, crazy Scotsman or flying Dutchman, you know, we're created in God's image, right? Nobody's better than anyone else. No one is less than anyone else. We all stand as image bearers who are sinners before a holy God and his law. And that's the standard. Very helpful, brother. That's very comprehensive, I think, and uh, very helpful in getting our bearings on these things. So a couple things that uh, stood out to me is that you're saying we need to have the same standard for both sides. And uh, yeah, and that needs to discipline our thinking and our rhetoric and even our, um, yeah, our, our public uh, comments on these things that, that seems to follow from what you're saying that we're going to assess all the actions that we're observing or can observe by the standard of God's truth and God's law. And the other thing is that um, whereas there seems to be a, a willingness on uh, the part of Western nations like America and, and even Canada to get involved with some of these conflicts, it seems like you're saying that there is a um, more it's both non-intervention that uh, the Canadian state is to concern itself for the Canadian citizens and the Israeli state with Israeli citizens and so forth. Um, so maybe uh, first, am I am I tracking with you appropriately? And then second, can you begin to focus on some of the specific uh, acts regarding both sides and and what kind of assessment we should be making? And uh, finally, um, what should we be thinking about voices that are talking about our country getting involved? Um, yeah, so uh, I would definitely, uh, I would say, yeah, you're, you're tracking. Um, we're, I think we're understanding each other. And um, so as it pertains to what we know, um, I don't want to get sidetracked into all sorts of debatable things or speculative details of the conflict. Um, I, and I mean, even on the point of uh, whether or not uh, Israel is illegally occupying uh, the Gaza Strip or the West Bank, um, the Golan Heights, East Jerusalem, I mean, really that boils down to how you interpret what happened um, following the six day war. When, uh, so when, when Israel first became a nation state under the league of nations um, and uh, it was around the time that they, they switched to becoming the UN and uh, they, they, they were granted a piece of land, which was actually smaller than what, what they have right now. Um, and then immediately following that, the Arab nations around them attacked them. Uh, and uh, so they, they defended themselves. And in the process, they took these pieces of land uh, for themselves, um, which, are, which is what we, we now have as the Palestinian territories. Um, so uh, whether or not they are illegally uh, stolen um, pieces of land, uh, illegally occupied pieces of land, or whether they 
genuinely uh, should belong to Israel. Uh, it all depends on how you interpret Israel's response to the international community telling them they need to give the land back. Um, so I don't, uh, I, I, I don't plan to get embroiled in that whole debate. Um, I don't think that's that's helpful or profitable um, because uh, it still doesn't answer the question as to how um, how uh, uh, it, Israel as a state and uh, the Palestinian peoples living in those territories have been interacting with each other. Um, it, it doesn't answer that question. Um, and most importantly, it doesn't it doesn't really matter one way or the other as it pertains to this particular conflict, because yes, there have been many conflicts between, but we need to evaluate each and every conflict uh, on its, um, you know, yes, there's a history, but we have to evaluate it on what's happened this time, not on what may or may not have happened back in 1948. Um, so, I, yeah, so what we know, um, is, uh, is that, uh, on October 7th, uh, the Islamic regime of Hamas, um, which is the, the governing body, um, they, they, they seized control in 2007 in, in the Gaza Strip. Um, and they uh, theoretically were elected, re-elected to, to be the government. But I mean, it's kind of like you have a one-party state um, and the guns are all in literally in the hands of those who are your government. Uh, and it's a, it's a severe, brutal dictatorship. They're, they're, there really is no voting going on. Let's be honest. There's no democracy. Uh, that's that's a pipe dream. Um, but uh, be that as it may, uh, they they uh, decided on October seventh that they were going to cut through the fence that surrounds the Gaza Strip and enter into Israel proper and um, and uh, uh, brutally attack civilians and military personnel. And I believe the military personnel were off duty. So they would have been considered non-combatants in that state as well. Um, so uh, the, the, then what happened from that time on uh, is that Israel has been retaliating um, through airstrikes. So the, uh, the initial, um, the initial uh, uh, population that was killed at the hands of Hamas uh, were fourteen hundred people in uh, in kibbutz and uh, a military base close to the uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, since that time there has been close to uh, 10,000 Palestinians killed in Gaza. 
Um, and uh, this has been in, uh, so, so the idea is that because Hamas um, has dug tunnels under buildings and fortified their bunkers underground, uh, that, um, and they like to use human shields, therefore we are going to um, respond with massive airstrikes. Uh, so the um, so so the figures that I'm uh, bringing up are as of this past Sunday. So um, the 1,400 people that were killed in Israel that that's the same today because uh, it's been the same for the whole month. Um, that was that was from the initial attack. Um, so that number hasn't changed all month. But the uh, 10,000 um, excuse me, 10,000 plus uh, people um, in Gaza. Uh, that's been steadily growing day by day uh, the whole month uh, as Israel has been uh, pounding away with uh, carpet bombs and airstrikes. Uh, so there was, uh, in the initial attack, there was uh, 5,400 um, Israelis that were injured. And over the course of this past month, there has been close to 25,000 Palestinians who have been injured. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And in addition, there's been uh, 200,000 plus homes that have been destroyed through carpet bombing airstrikes um, in Gaza. Um, so uh, that's that's the um, that's the big picture situation. Um, essentially, uh, it's a eight or nine times um, eight or nine times the amount of people um, have been uh, killed and injured in Gaza than there have been in the initial attack in Israel. Uh, so that's that's not to minimize at all. Uh, the uh, the the terrible loss um, of those uh, the the families of those uh, fourteen hundred individuals uh, who were brutally murdered at the hands of Hamas it was it was terrible um, but uh, but the reality uh, just statistically uh, there is uh, close to ten times the amount of people who have been uh, killed. In return, uh, Israel on 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 Palestinians, um, yeah. So uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, the big picture. Thank you, brother. I think well, that's a really good way to to lay into what we're talking about here. And I think that um, to return back to some of the things you were saying earlier, it's good that we don't lose sight of the pick of the central point where trying to drive home which is that we need to be thinking about these things biblically according to the standard of the law of god so it is the case that if you look at the history of the say 20th century right world war ii the war in vietnam the war in korea the war in afghanistan there it seems as though there's a normalization of killing civilians in um in the course of executing warfare on um unpopulated areas what we're saying is not that that is um acceptable and israel is doing something extraordinarily different 
Uh, no, what we're saying is that by the biblical standard, uh, any any uh, state action which would this uh, which would kill innocent civilians, right, without taking uh, every every recourse, is condemned by the law of God. So you're making us a, a stronger point, if I understand it. Um, yeah, and and the second thing I would say is that uh, where I've I've thought about some of these things recently. Um, and how perhaps uh, our our fellow citizens of Canada are thinking about it. And uh, one of the things I would maybe bring us back to would be the FLQ crisis in, um, in the late 20th century, where Trudeau Sr. Uh, declared the War Measures Act uh, in order to deal with some local terrorists who uh, killed the cabinet minister and were putting bombs in mailboxes and so forth. So not a huge body count, but still, it was a traumatic thing in our nation's history and involved the murder of, of one man. Now, even in declaring uh, the War Measures Act, martial law, uh, there was never any question about bombing, you know, Montreal or, you know, saying we're going to, you know, bring out heavy civilian casualties in Quebec in order to deal with the terrorists among them. No, it was understood that this is a police action. This is a, a targeted action involving investigation. And, and in some cases, um, even military personnel ensuring that there is um, stability and there's the rule of law. And in a time of uh, domestic warfare, we could even say if we're going to give Trudeau the benefit of the doubt in, in terms of the Trudeau senior, that is, and, and um, and taking that particular action. Um, yeah, that, that's sort of how I think about it, that uh, where you would look at something like Hamas, uh, an, an evil organization, an Islamic organization, that purports to bring about God's um, rule, but in fact is a servant of the devil and is murdering and slaughtering, right, out of revenge, really, for, for his Zionist uh, actions. We can say, yes, if they've shed innocent blood by the standard of the Lex Talionis, they deserve to be, be rightly brought to justice. But it does not follow, uh, according to biblical scripture and the law of God, that, um, that these things that have happened in retaliation of it are, are lawful. So is that about where, where you're coming at it, too? And do you have any response to what I've said? Yeah, no, I, uh, that's exactly where I'm coming at it as well. Um, I would also add that, um, um, we, to try to say that, well, is, Hamas brought this on themselves. Of course they incited a response. I mean, they, they're not stupid. They, they knew they were going to get a response, right? That's why they all went underground into their bunkers, um, where they're completely safe, by the way, from all of the air, airstrikes going on up above. Uh, but that doesn't mean, therefore, now Israel is absolved of their responses, right? Uh, they can't, Israel cannot shift the blame to Hamas, and we cannot allow them as Christians, to shift the blame to Hamas. They can't do that. Uh, that, that is literally to say, um, 
well, it's it's literally to hold double standards. It's it's literally to say, well, our first parents blame Eve to Adam and then Adam to the snake. Uh, well, that that was wrong, but over here with Israel, it's okay. Um, no, 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 you're not like you're you're not allowed to shift blame like that. You have to take personal responsibility. So, let me just give a practical situation. Um, you know, this happens all the time in my home, uh, where. Uh, you know, one one of one of my kids uh, will say, "Oh, the the other one, he hit me, and it's his fault. That's why I hit him back. It's his fault that I hit him back." And you know, as as parents, we we look at that and say, "Well, no, no, actually, son, it's your fault, uh, and you need to go and." now uh, have have a timeout and 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 we need to um you know uh think about this in terms of god's law and we need to have forgiveness and reconciliation and uh, make things right and take personal responsibility right and so of course that's a small scale but what are we doing we're training our our children for society so if we have that standard for our children but then we suddenly, as soon as it comes to Israel, now suddenly the standard changes. Now, now blaming others is acceptable. Now the ends justify the means. Um, no, I'm sorry that that doesn't that doesn't work. It, it's uh, um, no God's law insists that each and every one of us must take personal responsibility for our own actions because we're all made in God's image. So two wrongs don't make a right, basically. I'm yeah. down. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I agree with you, brother. I think um, you know what? I, I think this is a message that people need to hear. I've 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 seen you seeking to put this forward on, on social media. I've seen some of your your postings, and uh, I think it needs to be heard, right? That that ultimately we need to be ensuring that we're consistent in these things. And that I think is going to lead us to point out wrongdoing on both sides. So I, I appreciate you saying that so well. Now maybe uh, bring us to, um, yeah. So uh, where we, we would um, crystallize some of these things and, uh, and apply them. I wonder if you could, could bring us more to uh, to some kind of conclusion to this um, to this topic. Uh, what will be some of the analysis that we need to uh, take from this that will uh, help our audience? And what other lessons uh, can we learn? Yeah, so I would say, um, so so Hamas was entirely wrong in attacking Israel. Um, and uh, we can get into the whole discussion as to whether or not Israel lower, lowered its defenses intentionally to let them across. Um, Israel is the most sophisticated surveillance country in the world. Um, uh, a fly cannot touch that fence around the perimeter of Gaza Strip 
without alarms going off and Jeep showing up within two minutes. So how, how the hole was cut and it took is, you know, Mossad and IDF eight hours uh, or six hours to, to, uh, you know, realize that something was going on and then respond. Um, you know, that, that, that raises all sorts of questions. Um, and I think those questions need to be followed and looked into. Um, but be that as it may, Hamas was wrong in what they did. It was wrong to go through people's homes and murder them in their beds and rape their women and, uh, and uh, commit all the atrocities that they did. It was, it was so wrong. Prisoners, right? Yeah, and they took they took hostages, which, by the way, is kidnapping. Uh, so, so murder, rape, and kidnapping all deserve the death penalty. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so Israel was on that basis was well within their right to defend themselves and to bring the the hammer of justice down severely on Hamas um, as a national threat um what but what they have done instead is instead of going after hamas specifically which would involve you know special operation kind of ground troops um to go in very carefully making sure that they are not um taking out any non-combatant civilians along the way uh, and targeting, you know, basically taking out one bunker at a time and taking out the Hamas militants one bunker at a time. Um, like I would be completely in favor of that. Uh, that That is well within their right, according to God's law. But that's not what they've done. Instead, they have literally said the son deserves to die instead of the father. Um, so most of the people who have died on the Palestinian side are women and children. And Hamas is deep underground in their bunkers, completely unaffected. Uh, so Israel has spent the last month carpet bombing the daylights out of Israel, or sorry, out of Hamas, out, out, out of the Gaza Strip, pardon me, uh, out of the Gaza Strip, completely indiscriminately killing and maiming and injuring Palestinians who had nothing to do with, with, uh, with Hamas's actions. And let's remember whether whatever version of the story we want to go with, whether because of Israeli oppression or because of uh, Hamas's, uh, you know, extreme, uh, you know, extremely brutal rule or whatever, uh, or a combination thereof, or however it's played out, the point still remains that these people are, are dirt poor. They're scratching out a living. Uh, 40% of Gazans are 14 years old or younger. So, so the 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 response of Israel is basically 
instead of going after Hamas, we're just going to get rid of everybody. And I think I think what they would say in response, right, is that it's not completely indiscriminate, right? So there is with every with every um, uh, assault, right, with the with the bombs and missiles and so forth, they can say, well, ostensibly in this area, we have reason to believe there may be Hamas there, right? Yeah. However, it's so they and they might say, well, if we really wanted to kill all the Palestinians, right, we could use nuclear weapons or we could use, right. you know, yeah. And so, like, yeah, okay, so perhaps like completely indiscriminate. Well, they could say, well, there's some discrimination. All right, but is it sufficient discrimination according to the law of God? I would say no. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about which requires much more discrimination, much more carefulness, uh, and the sort of thing that that we would we would really insist upon if there was, say, a part of North America where there were terrorists. Right. Um, mm. There were terrorists in part of North America, and there was a populated area. We wouldn't consider it to be acceptable. It's like, well. Here's a knocking order, right? You know, we'll let you know that within five hours we're going to blow up your building, and so you better be on your way, right? I think we would say no. That's that's not that's not acceptable, right? Um, there needs to be a much more targeted approach. Yeah, yeah, and and it and it doesn't it it doesn't really help um, uh, the the trustworthiness of the Israeli government when Netanyahu comes out and. Uh, compares the Palestinians to Amalekites and that they as the children of light are going to get rid of the children of darkness. Uh, it doesn't really help us to believe him when he then turns around and says that, uh, you know, that uh, he's, he's uh, you know, he's targeting the bunkers that may be there of the Hamas militants. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the two don't, the two don't logically go together. The one conforms to we're intentionally going after everybody. And we don't, you know, Hamas may be one of our targets, but so is all the rest of the Palestinians uh, versus the, the other, which is, no, we're very carefully going only after Hamas and trying to preserve the lives of the Palestinians. Yeah, that that is helpful, brother. And um, I think a lot of this does come down to the way we are assessing things. You know, sometimes we use the language of worldview. Um, maybe that that would be helpful for for us to to maybe close on when we think about uh, about worldview. Right, that's really what we're up against. Is there actually an autonomous right for every state or every political movement? To set their own parameters for warfare, or is it all bound by the law of God? Do you think that's a correct, a correct way to see some of the the conflicts and disagreements about this? Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely agree with you, brother. And you know, the question is, do we actually believe that God's word is a public book? It's not, not just a church book that's good for me in my local congregation in a corner, but it's actually meant for 
everybody everywhere in every sphere of life and that Jesus is actually king over all kings and he is actually lord over all lords he is actually the ultimate authority over every single human authority really and truly his god his law actually does apply in the specifics and he really is the ruler of kings on earth do we believe that or not that's the question and if we do believe that um then then we have to insist that each and every state must obey Jesus in the way they're ruling. And if they're not, they're in rebellion against Jesus and they need to repent in a hurry. That's the, you know, that, that's what it boils down to. You know, brother, I think as you're talking, I think really a good companion uh, to this whole episode would be assessing uh, our own history as Canadians along these same lines, because what immediately someone might be saying is, well, we'll look at, at these two uh, Canadian Christians, right? They're, they're getting all high and mighty. I think that um, if we had the opportunity to speak more about our own country, we, we would say that, yeah, we don't want to give our, our own uh, people a free pass on this. Right? We want to be saying there's much, much occasion for repentance. I know it's a huge topic, right? But um, it, it really just, just has occurred to me that part of the 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 imbalance part of the inconsistency i think among uh, even our brothers and sisters is that there hasn't been a right reckoning in our in our own uh, sins as a nation mm. and there's been an awful lot of blame shifting as well um which uh cultural marxism has only given ample room for that sort of thing yeah and it's you know it's the air we breathe now so it's hard to get away from. But yeah, you know, I think that, that uh, we've covered some good ground, brother. Um, yeah, I think there's much to be praying about, much to be thinking about, and much to be acting upon in these things. I'm sure it's going to be profitable for many people. Um, maybe uh, as, as we close, I'll just ask, uh, um, you have a book that you've uh, written and it's been published. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So can you direct people to where they can get a copy of that? And uh, maybe we'll have you on again to talk about that in detail. Sure. So the, uh, the title of my book is uh, Vengeance Has Come, a Puritan-minded exposition of the apocalypse for the modern church. Uh, so uh, it's a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the revelation. Um, and... Uh, with specific application at a worldview level to uh, to to today, that would be helpful for the modern church, especially in the West. And um, uh, it's a uh, it's about two hundred and thirty pages long. Um, and uh, Founders Press uh, was kind enough to publish it for me. Um, so you can go to the uh, Founders Press website and my book is on the front page uh and uh up until uh, i believe december 4th i believe the cutoff date is um you can uh pre-order uh my my commentary and uh and uh yeah so i'm coming from a uh historic reformed puritan um, I'm a uh, partial preterist uh, post-millennial 
And uh, so that's that's the angle I'm coming at it from and uh, just seeking to bring a, a consistent um, uh, a consistent interpretation of the revelation first by verse, uh, not skipping over any of the hard parts and just uh, trying to make application at a worldview level for Christians today. Yeah, I was just going to say, you all, you picked an easy topic for your first book, right? So, you know, I just decided to, to jump right in there. So, so good for you, brother. And an important topic, I think that that would be very helpful um, to, to have you on again. And uh, there might be a few differences between us on that, but I think that would be good to work through as well. I'm, I'm thankful that you're addressing it, thankful um, yeah, that you're also trying to make it practical because the revelation is a wonderful, wonderful book and we need to, we need to be profiting from it. So thank you for that, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me. I think this is going to be really helpful for people as always listeners. If you have feedback, you can reach me at benjamin.g.hicks at gmail.com. Always love to receive your feedback until next time. God bless. If the foundations be destroyed, what hath the righteous done? God in his holy temple is, in heaven is his throne. His eyes do see, his eyelids try, men's sons the just he proves. But his soul hates a wicked man, and him that violence loves. Snares fire and brimstone, furious storms, on sinners he shall reign. This as the portion of their cup doth unto them pertain. Because the Lord most righteous doth in righteousness delight, and with a pleasant countenance beholdeth the upright.